so we were just listening to Six Music Plays It Again Presents Liverpool talking about the new wave six-part series that was on Liverpool's music scene post The Beatles, presented by Janice Long. We've got the news coming up now. It's going to tell us about things that have been happening recently. Uh, after that, me, Russell Brand and Carl Pilkington will be with you for the next few hours. But first, the news. That was Underworld Born Slippy. You're listening to BBC Six Music with me, Russell Brand, standing in for Nimone. She's still off. Christmas is over now. The balloons are withered. The tinsel is sort of hanging listlessly from the tree. But still, Nimone clings to the idea of it being an holiday. I'm here with Carl Pilkington, holding the fort. Are you alright, Carl? Yeah, I'm alright, yeah. What do you, what's the problem? Do you, do you think, do you begrudge Nimone her holiday period? Well, like you say, you know, Christmas is been and gone and mm. she's still I don't I don't think she's a religious person. You know, she's not over religious yet she's she seems to be milking it. She says a certain doesn't use her show as a platform for her religious views as we plan to do for the course of the evening. We were gonna talk about um like Christmas. Last night we talked about like sort of Christmas mythologies and stuff. We talked about that um the that football match that happened in the First World War in No Man's Land. We queried whether or not it happened, but finally it was proven uh, that it did take place because it's in the farm altogether now in No Man's Land. That's the final bit of that was the final bit of proof. We're also going to talk tonight about, you know, Christmas mythology, and it's this weird week, isn't it? That weird week between Christmas and New Year's Eve, we don't really sort of, we sort of, we're all reduced to the status of toddlers or very, very old people where days and time have no meaning. I'm sort of like a substitute teacher. We've cut, like, if I'm sort of a substitute teacher standing in for the moment, I don't know what that makes you, Carl. It's terrifying to speculate. Perhaps, perhaps it makes you like um, one of them dogs that uh, help people that have fits. That you were talking about yesterday. Yeah. Yesterday, Carl said that you know if you if you're prone to fits, you can get a dog from the government that will bark when a fit's coming on. It was confirmed that that is actually true. But then Carl left the realms of reason to say that that dog will then coil about your skull to prevent you banging your head during your fit. Perhaps like that's your yeah, radio. I mean, we're not, we're not going daft. I mean, it was the right size dog for that job. It wasn't like a an Alsatian or something. It was like a. A sausage dog or I'm something. I'm not saying that it's a, a good wraparound type <laughs> dog. Right, fair enough, Carl. It's not the dimensions of the dog that prevented me from that, if, if thinking that that was reasonable. It's not like, hold on a minute, how big is this dog? It's like that a dog won't just coil uh, itself well, around someone's head. And, you know, we right. settled it. It's, we, we've agreed but to disagree. We've agreed. That's a, <laughs> yeah, we an have. agreement. Yeah, okay. Well, listen, if you want to join in tonight, we're going to talk about, you know, sort of more stuff like that. We're going to tr try and resolve once and for all what is the one true faith. And uh, we're going to talk about, like, you know, Christmas mythologies and stuff. If you want to get in touch with us, you can text us on 64046. You, you can request things of us. Or you can give us a bell on 08700 100 600. Or you can text me at russell.6music.com. Email, yeah. Email me, yeah. Russell uk. Lovely, but we've got yeah. some fantastic music, haven't we, oh, coming we have. up? We have. We've got a right little treat. Oh, should we listen to David Bowie now? Go on, then. Uh -huh. This is BBC Six Music, I'm Russell Brand, I'm here with Carl Pilkington, we're standing in for Namon. That was, of course, David Bowie in fashion. I really like David Bowie, I like the way he ch 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 changes, transforms himself, the way he meddles with gender and stuff. Do you like him, Carl? Yeah, I mean, I sort of, uh, I don't know, if I was to go out with a, a pop star yeah. for a night out, I think yeah. he'd, he'd have some interesting stuff to talk about. It doesn't right. happen anymore, does it? You don't really get people like that. Like you'd sort of go, they, they've they've got some stories to tell. 
do you, I'd like to, I wonder what kind of influence you would have on you, David Bowie. I wonder if he could get you all doled up. I think no, wonder no, if he no, could get you in a swimsuit or no, something. That won't happen. It's the same way I like having a chat with you, right? Yeah. Because you've, you've sort of had a bit of a past. Right? Yes. You've, you've been up to a lot of things that I'd go nowhere near. Right. So... What, all the narcotics and the monkey business and the rhubarb? All, all the stuff that you get up to, yeah. you know what you've done, mm. right? Um, and I think A lot of people won't know what I've done because of, like, it's all taken place in the realms of digital obscurity, Carl, so it's like, yeah, it's not well, wild. Do you, know I mentioned, do you want to do a quick CV? Oh, I'll do a quick CV of things yeah. I've done. I once uh, had a bath with a homeless man, I had a, once had a fight with my own father, I once lived with this family of heroin-addicted prostitutes, I once manually stimulated a man in a lavvy as an experiment on the subject of homosexuality. Right, so, it's there just you go, that's a little taster of, of what he's been up to. I haven't done any of that. No. Right. What have you been up to? I I, I haven't. I, I I'm more of an observer. I think on this night out with Bowie, I think you'd be left short of anecdotes, Carl. I no, think because because as long as I know someone who's done all that, right, right. I can still do the anecdote. I don't have to. You can still relay the anecdotes, yeah, without having to have endured any of the hardship, particularly. See, so, so like this thing, right? The other Go day, on. I was reading. Um, I get a science magazine every month, right? Yeah. And the latest one of it, um, it tells you how if you get your head cut off, yeah, you can live for 30 seconds. Now, I didn't have to go through that to find that out. I left right. it for someone else to do. Yeah. And I'll, I've read it, so I'm telling you the anecdote. He can't tell you. He could have told you very quickly in that 30 seconds, do you know, for this next 30 seconds I'll be able to tell... Yeah. Well, that's, yeah. that's weird, isn't it? Yeah, that's that, that's... So, I'd tell that to Bowie, you know, he'd be going on about all the chitty changes that's Well, that's great, Carl. And I'd say, oh, do you know that if you have your head cut off for 30 seconds, you're sat there going, oh, I don't like this. Yeah. Uh, apparently there's no pain, because your nerve system's a bit, acts a bit weird. Well, of course, your nerve system's gonna malfunction slightly when it's, when once you, it's, you've been decapitated, I suppose that's only natural and to be expected. Weird, though, isn't it? It is weird. Is that enough? I think let's disappear into the realms of music and return. Oh, let's give out, you know, we've got this text message firstly, I'll just mention this. I hope you're live tonight, this text message says, um, because it, there's this person has a suspicion that there are some programmes that are not live from Six Music. It's all live, isn't it? From Six Music, everything is live. Let me, not like a documentary, because otherwise there'd be a roving reporter, you know, running around Liverpool doing interviews with Jerry and the Pacemakers and Echo yeah, and the Bunnymen. Yeah, that, that has to be pre-recorded. But, I mean, if it's not all live, mm. then Namone's really sort of... Right, that's terrible, because she could have just recorded it yeah. before she went on her holiday. Yeah. What are we doing, Stanley? Right, it's 22, 16 and 25 seconds. This is definitely live, right? Um, oh, it's a bit cold outside, for example. That yeah, proves that yeah. it's live. Um, yeah, give us a ring. You, you can come on the show, make a few requests, have a chat to us. You know, do whatever you like. But for now, why don't we listen to Jose Gonzalez? Oh, bondage up yours by X-Ray Spec. She's a confident young lady, isn't she? This is BBC Six Music. I'm Russell Brand. Like... I don't know how I would cope. Like that woman there, like that old bondage attitude, very nice. But I don't. I'm not that keen on bondage as an idea. Anyway, I met this woman. It was a dominatrix and an actress in porn films. Really, sort of, really confident and forthright. Very attractive woman. 
but sort of, I don't, you know, I don't think I want to be dominated. I'm dominated in everyday life, isn't it? You sort of, you know, just get onto a bus, they dominate, you know, can I, well, you've got to have the right change, and then driving the bus really quickly so you can't get up the stairs. That's a situation where I'm subjected to humiliation. I don't want to drag that into my sex life. And also, the stuff they get up to, the, well, the well, dominatrixes, what you want to know, you're curious. Well, they use people as a toilet, for example, to say things in the discreetest way. And also, I went to this bondage. Well, is that is that for fun, or is that like th these people, these men, of get off on being used as a lavvy? And I also, um, I went to a bondage fair once, right? Because I was just, you know, it was actually I was filming there. I didn't go there like motivated by sort of lust or anything. I was sort of quite. Um, quite Presbyterian in my sexual tastes, pedestrian, dull, tedious almost, right? I went to this bondage fair, everyone there really, like, was unattractive in the main, like, people you didn't want to see in normal clothes, let alone wearing PVC and rubber like they all was. And there was one fella there, he had a girl there I swear was not all there mentally, and he was leading her around on a dog lead and spanking her and letting other people spank her. It's all just sort of so mundane and tedious. And there was a bloke there that had made a special commode where, like, uh, you, you know, so, so it was m made so that people could get inside it, inside a lavvy. I don't, yeah. I don't get, I don't understand. But is that, is it, is it still to sort of, is it all about sex, that? Well, I think... Is the end result still the same as I normal people? Exactly. It all leads to the same place, as it were, the same happy ending, Carl. So, so why faff about? Why faff about? It's ultimately worse, but I don't know, I mean, that's the nature of fetish, isn't it? Um, like, you know, it's to objectify things, excite things, get all titillated by one thing. Yeah, do you know what, later on on the show, um, we're gonna have a little chat with Philip Salon, who was like the, uh, founder of the Mud Club. He used to, um, he used to, do you know what he used to do? He used to compare early Sex Pistols gigs. So he used to, you know, sort of hang about, he's got some anecdotes about uh, John Lydon and Sid Vicious and Malcolm McLaren, because that's all quite fetishistic, when it all came from a fetish shop that Vivian Westwood used to run on the King's Road, apparently. Well, there's, there's one round the corner from me, right, a little fetish shop. Is I've that never, why I've you moved into it. that address, no, 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 was it? No, I'm not, I'm well, not, hello, I've nice never been local. in, I pass it a lot, but, yeah. you know, I just sort of have a little sly look in. What have they got in the window? Door. Um, just sort of rubber stuff, big boots and stuff. Yeah. But it's never, it's never made me sort of go, oh, they look good. I'll, yeah. I'll nip in there and try them on or anything. Yeah. But, what's really odd, right, it opens at about eight in the morning. What kind of pervert gets up at eight in the morning and says, by thunder, if That's I don't right. get a bodice on, quick smart, I can't go through the rest of the day. Don't get it, it's weird. Oh. Sainsbury's isn't open. Yeah, Sa you right. can get a pair of rubber boots. You can't get yourself a pound of carrots. But if you want to get yourself a, a sort of a rubber mask, you can do, and some love eggs. That's Unsatisfied by Nine Black Alps. This is BBC Six Music. I'm Russell Brand. I'm here with Carl Pilkington standing in for Namone. We've got some text messages. Um, Rory, he was, he was texting us last night. He had a terrible journey on a plane, then an awful bus journey. He's very impressed that this is all live. He thought that this has been scripted, pre-recorded and edited. He's astonished. That um, that it's all uh, that it's, this is all live. Omnibuses and planes was how he was travelling last night. He says that that would be a good name for a song. Well, I suppose it would be, but you know, sort of that's just a minute part of the work done. So that if you're in a band and you sort of spend all your time thinking, oh, what would be a good name for the band? Spend hours doing that and then think, oh no, we've not written any songs. That's the mistake I made with a, a bedroom band like some years ago. We never got anywhere, and it was a result of that attitude. Got some inquiries about this um, beheading rhubarb that you've brought up, Carl. Right. Says. Um, if you get your head cut off and you live for 30 seconds, which bit lives, the head or the body? That's from Richard in Huddersfield. Can you clear that up, Carl? Um, I think it said, um, the head. 
mm. continues for 30 seconds. Yeah. Right? They add it, um, they cut it off, popped it on a stool or something. Yeah. And they threw a load of questions at it. Right. right? How are you feeling? Just, it was like the yes, no, it was like Mallet's Mallet type thing. <laughs> right. Quick association. Nothing pause, of, hesitate. Yeah, it was, it was What like, can you threaten it with, though? You'll get a bash on the head like this. You've already cut my head off. What well, more can you do to me? It was just a quick fire round. <laughs> and, and after about, I think, 25, 30 seconds, between that 25 and 30, he was getting a bit groggy and not in the mood for the quizzes anymore. <laughs> Look, I'm not interested in this quiz. Could you please give me my body but back? It, but it went on. It just annoys me how everybody sort of doesn't believe stuff that I've read, and yet you, you stand there and spout a load of facts. <laughs> facts, yeah, that's the deal it's called. I, I spout facts, well-researched facts. Although, you know, no, sometimes the things I say are a bit spurious. Um, anyway, so, but just once before this, now this football match thing, the, the No Man's Land Christmas Day football match, right, it definitely did happen, says, uh, Piley, right, he says, because he saw a, uh, he saw a video of it today on a music channel, uh, Paul McCartney took part in it, that's of course, Play the Pipes of Peace. I believe. Right, so that's, that's authenticated that once and for all. If you want to send us a text, you can do so on 640406, and, uh, you can, how can they email me if they want to email? sort of turn the computer on and that. See, that know. That's got to be a start. Don't, you know, if you think, oh, you can't sort of stand there condemning technology and saying Terminator 2 was right, what a prophecy that was. The machines have to, oh no, I've not switched the computer on. Well, yeah, just do that. And, right. uh, music at bbc.co.uk. That's, yeah, that's, send them in, that's, that's got to be the first step on that journey. We're going to talk about, oh, I've got that important thing to talk about later, about how collective information is more valid than, uh, the, any, than the individual, individual genius. That's, that's an important thing we'll be talking about later. That means, like, so, like, if all, everyone listening to the show collates their knowledge, we're a much more powerful force than if we had Stephen Hawking or Einstein or some other boffin sat in here. So oh. that's a, that's an interesting thing for us to talk about. Over the next hour we've got oh, we've got Beta Band coming up in a little bit. We've also got um Arctic Monkeys later on in this hour, so it'll be a right nice laugh, have I think. Got, have we got any live stuff? Yeah, what? we have as a matter of fact. We've got uh, a, a session track now from Reckless Eric. This was recorded in nineteen seventy seven when you and me was all tiny Carl. Let's have a listen to it. That was assessment by Beta Band. This is BBC Six Music. I, I had this lovely thing about um, Beta Band. Someone um, criticised them. One of their peers criticised them. Said, "Look, they've got to move on musically. They've been doing the same thing for years, right?" And uh, a spokesperson, one of the Beta Band, went, "Oh, they, they shouldn't say that about us. We're trying our artist." <laughs> That's a nice way to defend yourself. Didn't get all aggressive. Well, yeah, well, leave it out. I mean, just went, well, we're trying our artist. And that, that's, that's all, all you can ask for, isn't it? That's all any of us can do in life, Carl. We're all just trying to make our way through life. We're all born babies. We all die little old men or little old women, depending, you know, little old dogs, whatever it is. You know, we don't generally change species. But, like, yeah, we're all just trying our hardest in life. You know, um, I want you to know, if you're listening to this, that there's a webcam in this studio, so if you want to, you can go online, uh, bbc.co.uk forward slash six music, right, and then you can have a look at me and Carl in the studio. If you go online, right, and then sort of email or text us requests, I'll carry stuff out. I'm, I'm mad enough to try. If you say to me, like, uh, spit into the palm of your hand, then massage it in Carl's little bald head, I'll do it. And, like, and then you'll be able to watch online as Carl tries to defend well, himself. Uh. That's just a suggestion. They might not say that. They might well, just say to a like jig. children in need or something. Where <laughs> raising money. I'm not just doing it for the fun of. <laughs> All right. And then I'll give 
a pound to like some charity. Fair enough. If you, because <laughs> otherwise you're taking food from the mouths of children. If you're looking at the webcam now, and I don't think that you are, because I'm, I'm confident you're not, because I've been acting like a right ninny in here. I was like just stretching my legs out, right, doing a sort of like put my hands on the table and stretching my legs out. Carl goes, uh, oh, I'll do that, I'll do that, because what is it you've got? I've got um, restless leg syndrome. Right. So I'll, I'll be in bed at night. Everything, mm. Everything's normal. I'm thinking I'm gonna have a good night's sleep and that. Yeah. And then, Sounds quite normal so far. And then, and then, like, it gets to a point in the night where my legs just go mental. Yeah, And they kicking. start sort of kicking out, and my girlfriend's like, will you pack it in and that? Yeah, she's like, got those that poor woman's got enough to put up with being in bed with you in the first place. If I was her, I'd line up pillows between me and you, so it's a film of boundary. Well, my doctor said it's because I, I, I sort of ate too much ice cream. <laughs> that is his medical diagnosis. I don't reckon the do doctor said the word ice cream to you, did he? I'm sure he, he said something about it's, <laughs> it's you, you've got too much sugar to right. eat an ice cream. So he probably said something about glycemia or something like that. Yeah, it all sounded all yeah. probably complex and medical. I can't, but probably then had to keep translating it down and down and down until you could understand it and just say something about ice cream. Just say, just stop eating ice cream, Carl. But <laughs> just grew tired. Just wanted you out of the surgery, probably in the end, wasting his valuable time. Probably wanted to get himself struck off rather than practice medicine anymore, right? Anyway, that um, leg kicking thing, yeah. um, as you know, and I'm a, I'm a recovering heroin addict for years since I've taken heroin now. When you come off heroin, your legs all go like that. You're, like, you're sort of trying to get to sleep or whatever, or you're just trying to do anything. Your legs all sort of kick out, lash out, and that is where the phrase kicking the habit comes from. You kick the habit, like because you, when you lose, get rid of your habit, your legs all kicking, kick out. Kicking the habit. Like that, yeah, it's awful business. So that's that, that's that phrase. It, also, that's another thing you can send us or uh, text us on 640406. Text us, how did phrases and bits of language come about? Oh, I've got one. Like I've Go got on. One. Right. Um, I've read about this ages ago, so I mm. might not get it perfect. Well, and even, I think if you'd have read it, if you were sitting there now with the literature in front of you, I think as it went through your brain, it'd just come out as a big pack of silly daft lies. What well, is it It was then? something, you know that saying, um, uh, chucking the baby out with the bathwater? Don't chuck the baby out with the bathwater, meaning if you have like a sort of a good idea, like, or, or like, you know, or an idea that's a bit dubious, so don't yeah. like, get rid of the whole idea because you might lose it, like a pearl, something good within it, the yeah. baby out of the bathwater. Well, yeah, I've heard that phrase. Was it? Well, it came from like years ago, mm. right? Because all these sayings are from like years must, ago, aren't they? Yeah, of course. Um, and what it was, in the olden days, yeah. people used to have a bath, right? yeah. but because of the shortage of water, yeah. Um, the whole family used to use the same water. Yeah, that must have been unpleasant, wouldn't it? That's what I think you'd end up. What if the person, your older brother or someone immediately senior to you, is dirtier well, than you? This, and this was the problem. Right. And because everybody who was working hmm. uh, got the rights to the clean water first. So at the end of the day, right, yeah. the baby. That's done now, has it? That hasn't been outworking. <laughs> it's not so contributed anything. So that got the bath at the end. Right? right. And the water was that filthy that when they used to pour it out the window. Yeah. At the end, they might not notice. The baby was still in it, <laughs> and they used to sort of chuck the baby out, and they go, "Oh no, I didn't see it in there because the water was like filthy." You reckon that that happened so many times that yeah, it eventually well, became a phrase? You do it again, though, after the you do 50th it again. or 60th baby. That's what we've I, li I listen to your stuff. Yeah, because my one was grounded well, in facts, nice wasn't it? Say, though, I'll give you the full story. <laughs> little baby. I mean, that might be. Yeah, they don't. I mean, it's like, yeah, but that's not illuminating, is it? Because it's, obvi it's obvious. Even if you don't know that bit of apocryphal rhubarb that you just spouted, it's still obvious. Uh, like that. That means I oh, don't chuck the baby out of the bathwater. Like I don't reckon that it actually used to frequently happen, but to peasant families. Well, it must have happened a lot like, to oh, get, a, a, get a saying going. Surely, it's <laughs> got a, a saying's got to be said again and again. It's like Little Britain. 
yeah. you know, saying, oh, I'm the only guy in the village. Yeah. If you only said that once- But now it'd have- It's yeah. been forgotten about. So but there's a lot of babies, a lot of dirty babies knocking out about outside bath- bathroom windows and that. Saving his But anyway, yeah, if you've got any sayings and that, because I, I like learning stuff, so- Yeah. People want to send some stuff in on email. Okay, Russell.6music yeah. at bbc.co.uk and- we'll or, or you can yeah. text us it as well. Or yeah, well, texting, texting, a, a, that would take ages, wouldn't it? Oh, I don't know how people manage with it. It's no, gonna we'll make arthritic. We'll let's play some music and that. Anyway, I like this one. Alright. Yeah. So who's that girl that- This is BBC Six Music, that was Blondie, Dreaming. That has got sort of a festive connotations, just them chimes in the background makes it sound sort of a little bit Christmassy, don't it? Um, we've got a text message from, uh, Roy from Liverpool, he wants us to play um, Frosty the Snowman Cocktail Twins version. Have we got it, Carl? Um, I've just been like having a quick look through here on the computer. He's rummaging through it. If it's not in any sort of order, this. Right, yeah. loaded them in, couldn't couldn't get a job in like HMV. Right. It's, so all, it's such just all... Just randomly put, put in there. In. It's just random, yeah. Makes that your job a lot more difficult. Okay, so if, um, you know we were talking about phrases and etymology and the root of certain phrases and stuff. We talked about kicking the habit coming from when your legs all kick when you're coming off heroin. Carl made up some mumbo jumbo about chucking mm -hmm. babies out with bath water. We've got um, a uh, text message here from Rich C, he, and it's, he says that the word nonce, right, came from this. He goes, the word nonce used to be written outside vulnerable, in inverted commas, prisoners' cells to warn officers to keep them away from fellow inmates on the prison yard and means not on normal circulatory exercise, not on normal circulatory exercise, nonce. That's good, isn't it? That's where the phrase nonce comes from. Carl, so when people shout at you in the street, nonce, as I know they're prone to do, you can now know, we say, well actually, I'm allowed to perambulate in the yard with, with all the other jailbirds. Also, um, we've got another, we've got another text message here, uh, in 1981 I was in a band called Ultraviolet at school, crap name, no songs, I'm now an environmental policeman, still crap name and no songs, Duncan from Birmingham. Ultraviolet, I think that's an alright name. What's an environmental policeman? I suppose he just sort of stands by ponds. If you see someone with like a barrel of diesel rolling towards it, like whistling, all suspicious, like Boise from Falls and Horses, just go, <laughs> Oi, pack it in, don't go rolling that in. I suppose he polices the environment, doesn't he? I, I don't know. Is that, is that something new? Sounds like it, doesn't it? It sounds like sky marshals. You know, like if you're on an airplane and like, it's sky marshals. Like, you know, sort of to prevent there being any acts of terror or anything. Apparently they dress in normal clothes, they don't dress up like superheroes like they should, but uh, you know, there's a new job. So it's just, it's just like all this, how people are sort of worrying about the end of the world and all that. It's, well, yeah, it's just quite rightly, because Armageddon seems to be approaching, you know, rapidly, Carl, isn't it? Uh, Didn't you, what were you saying earlier, that there's a meteorite plummeting towards the earth? Yeah, apparently it's, I mean, I don't want to worry people on that. <laughs> I think you already have done, I think the minute people hear your morose vocal tones, they start to think, oh god, is life worth living? But go on, what, what's... Well, we'll talk about it later, cos it's, you know... Alright, okay. Alright, well then let me just clear up this final text message. Um, Rory reckons that he saw me talking to a blue scouse head on television. That's sure, that's abstract, isn't it? Rory's text messages, he's entered into a new Dadaist phase of texting now. He's evolved. Before he was doing just quite literal texts, just communicating information, talking about, oh, I'm on a bus. Does he mean those drummers? Have you met them? With the blue well, then the blue man group. I've not done it. I mean, I, could, I saw you talking to a blue scouse head on the television. It's good. I haven't done that ever. You know, it's madness. And then that final text message here, this is, um, from 
well, actually, it's, it's from someone anonymous, but their point is a good one. You know, I was talking about because I've got a really interesting point to make about how collectively we're more pa we're more powerful and intelligent than we are individually. Seems obvious, but wait till I give you this example. It's really brilliant. So it's, uh, this text message says, "Collective anything is better than just sitting on your own all day." Although private intellectual stuff is cool too. Performance, I reckon, should be democratized because at the moment it's not. Street theatre is cool for that. I do a little bit of that. Never knew beat a band were that good. Oh, they they are that good. Carl, do you, what do you think about street theatre? Is it something you're into? What do you mean? Just like jugglers and that? Yeah, well, yeah, jugglers. Yeah, like jugglers. Um, it annoys me a little bit in London because it's overcrowded as it is. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Without people clogging up the pavements, sort of throwing stuff in the air. Yeah, that's it. It's a hazard. It's clever and everything. Mm. But there's a time and a place. What about those people that paint themselves gold and just stand perfectly still as a job? They're in Covent Garden. Just getting in the way. You know, there's right. we've got enough statues. You know, proper ones without people pretending to be. Yeah. You know what I mean, if we, if we sort of had this problem of statues dying out, <laughs> say paint someone gold and stand them still, but loads <laughs> of statues, haven't we? Because before you'd get to that, you'd say let's just make some more statues. Because I'm not criticising anyone that does that, because you know, perhaps that's what this guy does, right? Does yeah. you know street theatre and stuff, and I don't want to seek to criticise him. But like, I think that yeah, like before, I'd sort of I'd have a few more options before I got to the point where I thought, right, I'm going to paint myself gold, like that woman at the beginning of Goldfinger. Stand in the street, perfectly still. She yeah. died, didn't she? She died. Those are the risks. So maybe these people should be applauded, Carl. That was Japan and gentlemen take Polaroids. This is BBC Six Music. I'm Russell Brand here with Carl Pilkington, standing in for Namone because you know three hours of work a day is apparently too much for that woman. Is what it seems like. We've got um, Philip Salon on the phone now. Now, Philip Salon was present at the dawn of the era of punk. He was friends with Malcolm McLaren and Vivian Westwood and therefore John Lydon and Sid Vicious, everybody. And he's been present, in fact, for most important musical movements in the last three decades and is a prominent character in the musical Taboo. He's on the phone now. Hello, Philip. How are you? Good evening. Yeah, I see you're, you're in fine spirits, are you? I'm not. I'm bitter and twisted. Why, why, are, you, why are you bitter and twisted? Mm, I don't know. I hate Christmas. But anyway, New Year's coming, which is an all birth. So I suppose you enjoy that a little bit more. You're Jewish, aren't you? So this you've is, got no reason. Christmas is a time of, time of taking. Well, anyway. So, oh, I hope you had a nice Christmas. Well, it was alright, but you've just soured the whole idea well, of Christmas for me a little I, bit. I had my nice Christmas glass of vinegar anyway. That was nice. Well, you sound embittered. Mm. So tell me, Philip, yeah. we will, like... Me, Carl, and our listeners would like to know a little bit about you. Were saying like to me once that you used to compare gigs where, where no, the I Sex Pistols compare gigs. When the Sex Pistols played one of their really early, you know, performances. I don't like that word gig, but anyway. Why not? Well, I don't know, it just sounds a bit cliche, doesn't it? Anyway, yeah, you, you, you just come on the phone, and went, "Oh, ducky, oh, hello, I'll make mine a large one," and then said that the word gig sounds cliched with no, all your camp lunacy. So, um. Anyway, so when they did a, an early uh, performance, this was at the screen on the green. It was before it was called punk. It was right at the beginning of, uh, right at the beginning, about 1970, end of 75, beginning yeah. of 76. And Malcolm asked me to kind of introduce them on, every time they did a song on stage, I'd kind of like dance around them, and then I'd like introduce the next song. But I was dressed up in my mum's dressing gown. Did they mind you doing that? With all our hair colours in and bedroom slippers, and I stripped off the pink hot pants. Crikey. Yeah, with, with a bib. But anyway, it did look quite odd, I have to tell you. Uh, how, how did the uh, boys respond to you dancing around in your mum's house coat? I don't know, they particularly cared, actually. 
actually. I suppose that's the the mm. nature of the Sex Pistols, is they had that air of indifference to almost everything. But the weird thing was that the audience was like 95% kind of dirty old hippies at that time, and there was like about 10 people in the audience that were kind of up-and-coming punks. It was like Susie Sue and Billy Idol, I think he was there, I can't remember, and about eight other people, and that was it. They were about the only punks in inverted commas in London, actually. Did you, were you into punk yourself, Philip? Pardon? Were you into punk yourself? I, well, I didn't like calling it that, you know what I mean? It's like I'd been through that hippie thing, and I actually, at that time I was ignorant enough to believe that if you were wearing something, you became part of some mystic group if you were wearing these clothes. And then by the time punk came along, I thought, well, I'm just in clothes, I'm not part of any stupid group, because I've got the same clothes on as some retired in King's Road. Did it, Vivian Westwood dress them, did she? Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, she created the whole thing, really. I mean, it was... It was just a fashion victim experience, wasn't it, really? So... I mean, it was a bit like an... Well, not exactly like Pop Idol, but it had that feel of being manufactured. I mean, it was a manufactured boy band, wasn't it, really? Really? It. I know it sounds an awful thing to say when it's also cool and streety, but it wasn't streety. Well, I mean, if you work out how things have gone up in price, what people spent on those clothes at that moment in time, it was uh, phenomenal, really, for people who were meant to be kind of like... You know, not working, not working class. Oh, give us 10p. Yeah, but I don't think working class people go around saying give us 10p. Now, Philip, what I wanted to ask you is like that, that John Lydon would say, though, that that, that, it was, that whole movement was representative of an ideology and the clothes he wore were sort of like old bits of rubbish that he found in the street and stuff like that. He wouldn't say, I was doled up in safety pins that Vivian Westwood made, would he? Um, uh, well, but he was, though, wasn't he, really? Although I heard he was the innovator of safety pins. I mean, he wore all their look, all their bondage stuff and all that stuff, but, I mean, he did embellish that one... I think that was the one thing he did invent, was safety pins, basically, as did, far as I know. Did it, at the time, feel like a, a sort of an ideological movement, or do you think... No, it, was... it did not. It was just like, you know, what's fashionable at King's Road at this moment in time. Right, just wearing little, like, pork pie hats and stuff Yeah, exactly, like it, it was kind of, um... Yeah, it just wasn't... It, it was... It, it, I mean, the, the look of the, the look was kind of all this street kind of. Uh, well, like, I, I hate that word working class because anyone who works is working class. You know what I mean? You could run a business and still be working class because you work. Like, Listen, let's not get into it, class structure, Philip. That's yeah. a very complicated argument. Yeah, I know, what I want to know is, did you meet Nancy Spungent and was she a terrible influence? Mm, I think actually, I mean, it was Sid Vicious really that was, that was one. I can remember in about nineteen seventy. I was in Kings Road and I saw this boy walking down Kings Road and I, was, I remember I was in the shop and he walked past and I goes, that bloke is an exact stereotype of everyone in Kings Road. He was like, at the time it was 60s was in, so he was wearing like these drain pipe trousers, pointed winkle picker shoes, you know, the 60s haircut, the whole, and everything was like the stereotype of what was going on. And then I walked into Vivian's shop and he was standing in there with some somebody or other and he was like guffawing in the corner like some magazine or book or whatever it was and I thought I wonder what he's laughing at so I walked over and goes can I have a look and he um, turned it round and it was a book on concentration camp victims and it was all dead bodies oh my I goes, word I goes well what's funny about that he goes oh you're a good fun isn't it well, and that, that was delicious. yeah that was him this was before he joined the pistols and he, wa I mean, I don't want to speak bad of the dead, but... Well, you just that, you just said that he laughed at the Holocaust. Yeah, well, That's he, the worst thing. he was just ignorant, do you know what I mean? It was like... He was only young, though, wasn't he? He had a terrible upbringing, his mum was... Well, I don't blame upbringings, but the thing is, though, he just thought it was like, he did everything in a stupid way, so it's like, what punk was meant to be, all the kind of aggression that was like the opposite of what hippies were earlier, 
You know what I mean? It's like, oh, yeah, let's live that. And so he did it to its ultimate and murdered somebody. It's like he lived it out. Because he was just stupid. He was the embodiment of You know, if he'd have lived, like, three years later, he'd have been, like, king of the new romantics in frilly shirts and long hair. But he just happened to be, at that moment in time, in that fashion cult for him. And so he got caught up in that little... Bit, you know, which, which was just about to kind of go out of fashion anyway, really. Philip, you've given us a wonderful window into the world of punk and exposed the ideology behind it. Philip, we'll have a little chat to you later, but let's have a listen to the, what it was, it was about the music, wasn't it, ultimately, Carl? Let's have a listen. That was Travelling Light by Tinder Sticks there. Uh, this is BBC Six Music, I'm Russell Brand, I'm here with Carl Pilkinson, we're here till one o'clock in the morning, standing in for Nimone. Um, right, yeah, what I wanted to tell you about is the collectivisation of information, right, sort of how, like, sort of, this is essentially a way of saying that two heads are better than one, we know, we all know that in a way, but listen to this experiment, it's really brilliant. Apparently, this bloke, scientist, went to a church fete, and, uh, you know that, like, so if you go to a church fete, maybe you have to guess how many jelly beans is in that jar, yeah, stuff right. like that, or how many sweets in this jar, it's like a big, big jar, there's thousands of them in there, Yeah. right? Like, well, sort of, what this scientist did is he, instead of having a guess himself, like saying, oh, I think there's 4,362 jelly beans in that jar, what he did is he made, as a part of the experiment, they made a register of every single guess that everyone who went to that fair had made, right? So, say 500 people had a guess and, like, you know, he got all of that information, he then, uh, then he then added together all the numbers, divided it by the number of people that had entered, and that was exactly the number of beans that were in the jar, right? So... What did he win? <laughs> I think he just got the sweets. He wasn't doing it, you know, he wasn't doing it. He's not a gambler. He's not in it for, you know, just for the sweets. He's not like a sugar junkie. He did it because, for the love of science. And what he learned is, that's an amazing fact, that like, no individual got it exactly correct of all the people who were guessing, but if you added together all of the guesses that people made and then divided it by the number of people there, that was the exact right number. So it's as if there's some collective intelligence that knows the answer to questions. So, like, perhaps if we were all to combine our intellects, we'd be able to solve the riddles of the mystery of the universe, the mysteries of the universe. Yeah, but it also helps. Yeah. I mean... It helps if there was a load of, saying that, 500 people all looking at jelly beans. Yes, right? yes. Surely you'd get the answer quicker if those 500 were made up of Stephen Hawking, yeah. Einstein, you know... I uh, don't know what the like, use Stephen Hawking's knowledge would be in a situation like that. I mean, you know, he's, well, he's just going to stare at the jar for a bit and go, hmm, he's not, like, not going to be able to, like, use worm theory on that, is he? No, but I'm just talking as a collective. Yeah, well, it would be better if the collective weren't made up of absolute goons and twerps and ninnies, yeah. Yeah, it's like, do you know when you get those big operations, um you know, kids with two heads and all that. Right? Yes, I, of course I know about the old kids with two head operations. Right. And they get, Who among us doesn't? And they get a load of, like, the world's doctors together to work on it, don't they? They, they all come from all over the world and they do. Do they? they, well, they, yeah, they get that's up how they an A-team of doctors. Yeah, it's better. If mm. you're, like, ill, mm. right, it's better to have a really bad illness because it's taken more seriously, I think. <laughs> do you know what I mean? If, if you go in there and it's something boring, I hate it when doctors say, oh, don't worry, this is like, you know, we do these every day. Yeah. For me, that's like, well, you're not going to be concentrating then. You trouble your doctor too much, in my opinion. He was in there with your little bedtime kicky legs, weren't you? And now, what is it that's... No, I'm just saying, though, hang on a minute, though, hang on. No, I'm not saying I've got two heads, I'm just saying, 
when a kid's got two heads to get all the world's together. I wish he did together. have two heads because there would be a 50% chance that one of them would have a better personality. No, but what I'm saying is, yes. right, two heads, all the world's doctors, and all, all those doctors, I don't know where I'm going with this now, Russell, yeah. I don't know where, where <laughs> we're but going. All the world's, well, you're just saying that it would be better to have all the world's doctors conglomerate to sort of stop your little kicky legs, but we've got a text message from some woman, I can't find it now, saying that you need to just take zinc tablets, it very nearly ruined her marriage, having those kicky legs, she said, and your poor girlfriend, God knows what else she goes through, when she's awake, she has to listen to your inane ramblings, when she tries to get asleep at night, you're lashing out with your little feet, jabbing away under so the sleeve, zinc. Zinc, take zinc tablets. I can't find the email that she sent us to tell you the truth, but well, she, she might she not be a doctor. Why, why am I listening? Because she saved her marriage. That's why. Yeah, but we're all Here different, we go. I found it. I found we're, it. We're all, all right, it's Vicky from Crystal Palace. For restless legs, take zinc and magnesium tablets. Honestly, it works. I nearly got divorced before I found out. Right. So there's that. Also, so that's that problem we've solved for you. And someone just sent a text message saying. Um, that, that, um, you know the phrase, back to square one? Like, oh, right, well, that's back to square one. Apparently that used to come from radio commentary for football. There used to be a series of grid references. Like, oh, right, it's in square two, now it's gone up the field. It's Stan Little, Stan Little on the wing for Liverpool. He's moving through square three. Oh, no, he's been intercepted. It's, it's the so ball's been booted upfield. So it was more like, sort of, computer battleships. It's like... Yes! An audio, exactly that. It was an audio version of computer so battleships. People at home used to make grids and sort of go, oh, square one. Yeah. Nine across and all that. Goal, they'd say. You sank my battleship. What an age it was. Oh, no, it's all about Sudoku's, isn't it? It's all Sudoku's now. You've cracked them, haven't you? <laughs> this is BBC Six Music. I'm Russell Brand. We just had three in a row. We had Love in a Trash Can from Ravenettes. We had Prince Buster with Al Capone, and that was, of course, a jam with Bitterest Pill. I'm here with Carl Pilkington. Um, Carl, this is my, one of my favourite little Morrissey stories. And you know, like in the back of music magazines, sometimes you have like a like a little quiz. Oh, Morrissey, what's your favourite colour? Morrissey, uh, what would you do to save the world? You know, where would you like to go on holiday? You know, those sort of things. You might get me to smash it or something. I don't know what they have these days for kids. But like, um, in one of them, it was like, you know, talking to Morrissey and said like, uh, what, what's the best bit of advice you've ever been given? And he said, uh, watch what you're doing with them effing flowers backstage, Top of the Pops, 1984 from Paul Weller. I really like that. that. That's the best bit of advice I've been given. Oh yeah, I better watch what I'm doing with them flowers because otherwise Paul Weller will respond with violence. It's a good bit of information, ain't it? Nice to think, and also it's nice to think of backstage at Top of the Pops, Morrissey drifting around with his gladiolas and Paul Weller getting worked and peeved by it like he would be. So, um, we're exactly halfway through our commitment to Six Music now, like, um, doing, like, looking after my own show yeah. whilst away. Have you enjoyed it, this half of it, Carl? It's been alright, hasn't it? It's alright, isn't it, for the halfway stage? Well, I've just, just playing some songs, some good songs and that. Playing some nice songs. Bit of a chin wag. We've solved quite a lot of problems over the course of the last couple of days, but now we must look to the future, Carl, right? Um, like, sort of, it's, you know, it's going to be 2006 any minute. Some things we know for a fact are going to happen are oh, there's going to be a World Cup in Germany in June. We know that's definitely happening. Yeah. What did you say is definitely happening? Uh, 2036, world's going to end. <laughs> We've got that to look forward to. Armageddon. Right, because a meteor's going to hit Earth. That's what you think. Something like that, yeah. But always, and they do, like, naysayers are always saying the world's about to end, aren't they? Well, they are, but what, what worries me is nobody seems to be trying to sort it out. 
What can we do, Carl? If a meteorite's going to strike the planet? I mean, time whizzes by, doesn't it? This year mm. went really quick. It did, didn't it? And people who are looking out for meteorites and that are probably going, oh, I've got a bit of time on this. Yeah. Don't worry about it yet. And yeah. before you know it- Just have another look at Orion's belt for a bit. There's gonna be all that going on, and then 2036, you know, it's gonna be like that Deep Impact film, isn't it? Yes, it's gonna be awful. We're all panicking and that. Oh. Yeah. No, all right, we should do something about it, but also, like, the, but, yeah, this, all right, I too, I'm gonna share the views of them, um, like, cosmologists and just say, let's not worry about it just yet, right, because we know, right, next year, World Cup, another Harry Potter film, I don't like Harry Potter. No, I'm not really into him. I've never followed it. Yeah, I don't understand. I think what it is is it injects the idea of magic and mystery and curiosity and wonderment into the mundane, isn't it? Because it's like, oh, Hogwarts, you know, or it's just like a, basically like a magical school. You know, like at King's Cross Station in London, they've now installed a platform nine and three quarters because there is, in, in Harry Potter books, a platform nine and three quarters. Whenever you go to King's Cross, it's always, you know, all it is is just a wall with what, a sign saying it, platform This is nine. actually there. This is there in a genuine. King's Cross, yeah. I mean, all it's a wall, Carl, with like um, platform nine and three quarters written on it, and then a, a trolley embedded in the wall, and invariably a cluster of tourists getting their photos taken around it. You know, so it's senseless, right? But I think, I think that's why people are into Harry Potter because of that idea. So we've got that Harry Potter film coming out. Have you got anything you want to say about Harry Potter? Well, I, I, I don't like Harry Potter. It's gone on too. What annoys me is right. Uh, what's her name? Who wrote it? J.K. Uh, JK Rowling. Yeah. yeah, it annoys me how people can sort of keep bringing books out and dragging it out, because it's not a finished story. Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, the Bible or whatever. Yeah. There you go, there you go, read that. That's it's got a start, a middle and an end, enjoy it or whatever, leave yeah. it halfway through if you're not enjoying it. But, this Harry Potter thing, yeah. she's just like, oh, keep dragging it out. She's really dragging it out, isn't she? Let's get to the end. Let it go. Come on. with it. That lad. But it's also that thing of the way everybody's sort of got into it as well. I see people walking around London, walking, reading. Walking and reading at the same time, risk their own physical health just so they can absorb more Harry Potter. Well, you can't be taking it in properly when you do that either. Of course they can't. They're just, they're living in a dream world. Because I, I, I saw someone doing that with, um, that Hawking book, that brief history of time, and I thought, you cannot be taking that in can't properly. Be I tried to look at that, like, just sat alone in my room, I couldn't concentrate. If I was trying to deal with traffic, looking at tourists clustering around a trolley on an imaginary yeah, platform. Wouldn't go in, would it? Just be too yeah. much. Um, here's something else that might happen. Next year, right? I saw a picture of um, Prince William, HRH William, in the paper today. He's going bald, right? I reckon by the end of next year he will be bald, and I'm glad about that because of his um, Playboy Prince status and that. It makes me feel insecure about my own looks. It's, a, it's a big deal. Because you yourself I've, are. I've got a little bald head, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, you know, I, I've come to terms with it and I'm happy living with it and stuff. Yeah. Um, but you know what? I reckon we should pop a little song on. Yeah. I'll tell you about my bald head after. I mean, if that won't keep him tuned in. Like, anyone who's not intrigued to hear about <laughs> your slowly balding head has got no interest in music or conversation and may as well not be alive. Supergraphs there with Finn, right? Um, I done a, uh, this is BBC Six Music, I'm Russell Brand here with Carl Pilkerton standing for Nimone. Um, I did a gig with Supergraphs once, right, Carl, at, um, Coco in Camden, right, and, um, I was backstage with them and I was talking to Danny Godfrey, right? And um they sort of like there's sort of like there's a DJ playing in a DJ booth, not on stage, and it's a massive venue, thousands of people, there's DJ playing, I was talking 
to uh, Danny Godfrey and I had to compare it, introduce him all on. I was just sort of like deep in conversation with him and suddenly he looked over my shoulder in the direction of the stage and went, Russell, look, you're meant to be on, you're meant to be on. Uh, so I panicked and ran onto the stage to my microphone went, oh, hello, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to Supergram. And then I sort of realised, hold on, there's still music playing. It wasn't ready to be introduced at all. I was just standing there like an idiot. My mic wasn't even live and I had to just like go, ooh, and sort of shuffle back. To the backstage and we're all super grass, we're all just laughing, all happy and pleased themselves, you know, and I feel like I've been humiliated. It's like being at school, it was, that moment. Why did they do that? For a laugh. I mean, like, afterwards he sort of goes, uh, like, you know, oh, I was only mucking about that, I was only mucking about I goes, oh, no, it's all right. So then when I went back on to introduce him genuinely, yeah. I goes, oh, I don't know, super grass might not be ready, Danny might be off having a threesome or swinging about in Primrose Hill, up to no good, you know. And then that's what I said it, but then he didn't hear that properly, so then he sort of came up to me as well, what was that, what was you, what was you saying? Just it ended up spiralling out of control, and in the end I, I just like, bought, sort of just left some chocolates and flowers from him, just Shut went and sat in the corridor. Yeah, I didn't even leave on chocolates and flowers, I mean it just ended sort of a bit strangely. Nice. Good little story. Isn't it? <laughs> this is life, Carl. You know, you can't sort of just change it to, um, to suit. You know, to make it more convenient, to make it a better narrative. So, um, right now we were talking about bald heads. Yeah, oh we? yeah, we were talking oh about right. your bald head, weren't we? Well, we're just saying to you, like, you know, you've got, uh, you know, good head of hair. Yeah, I, I hope I never ever go bald. I would rather get a terminal illness or have my arm cut off than lose my hair. Why? Just I like having hair. No, well, I, I did. But it's one of those things, isn't it? You just get used to it. It's like, oh, I've got a bald head, there's nothing I can do. Yeah, I suppose that's, you've got to have a zen attitude to it. You've got to have one of a detachment. You can't be attached to your hair once your hair is no longer attached to you. No, not really. Didn't you used to have, like, what you were saying, your hair weren't very nice anyway? Well, I used to go to this, um, you see, I think part of the, there's two reasons why, why I could have a little bald head, right? Yeah. Either, right, um, I did a 24-hour shift once, right, mm. working in some recording studio. Yeah. Um, why would that make you go bald? I don't understand. Because you're it's wearing worrying. yourself out, and it? it's the first thing that goes, isn't it? It's like you, you know, um, when you say that, right? And and it's all about looking after yourself, isn't it? And mm. stuff. And people say if you don't look after yourself, your hair falls out. Yeah, they do say that, and I'm worried. This is quite late night. We're doing all the moans. Yeah, but the thing is, saying all that, I've never seen like a, a bald caveman, and yeah. he wasn't getting all the right nutrients. Yeah, hold on, those cavemen, it's mostly drawings, isn't it? Captain Caveman, and yeah, you find one or two Captain one, Ice. Yeah, because they're depictions, aren't they? They might not draw a bald one. You know, why, why would they do it? Like, they're, they're not actual cavemen, are they? It's not like Captain Caveman's not real. There's only them ones that get preserved in ice once in a while. That don't happen that often. So I don't think that that's any evidence, really. They may have been bald cavemen. But go on, so you think this 24 hours of stress... So the 24 hours of, of working... What were you doing? What was your job? It was in, a, in like, a recording studio, right? And uh, yeah. I remember... Um, Smokey, you know that living Alice. door to Alice, Alice. It was the Blooming Hills Alice, right. yes, I remember it. It was, it was those, those, sort of that band had a load of cassettes that needed making up. For some reason there was a rush on. Yeah. Right, for that it song. very popular as I remember. They wanted like 50,000 cassettes knocking up of, yeah. you know, living next door to Alice. I can't get enough. And I wasn't allowed to go home until the job was done. Mm. Right. And it's uh, horrible. They should work in shifts. Car should be like you know eight hours. Then it's go not on. like that in these days, though, is it? It's all about you got to get the job done. Right. Like, you stay until it's done and stuff and all. You that. weren't like an assassin. It was only packing up cassettes. Yeah, for they were smoky. They were big at the time. Right? <laughs> so, so anyway, so it's either that why why yeah. I've gone bald, right? Or right, I used to go to this hairdressers. 
And yeah. like today's uh, hairdresser, it's not just about getting your hair cut, is it? They, they put nice little gels on your head. Nice lotions. Uh, they rub your head and get the hair follicles all Something going. Something for the weekends, uh, All that lot, right? Yeah. Uh, which is good, and there's mm. probably less bald people knocking about now. I don't uh, know if there is. Well, I don't know, I'm just, you know, I'm just yeah, but you think honest. that this barber, why, what was wrong with your childhood barber? It was barber? just, it was, it was like a little shed, right, on a train station. I would immediately, I wouldn't want to get my hair cut there. But, you know, if, if, if they, they can't even afford good premises, they're running it from a shed on a train station. Yeah. Why go there, Carl? Just because I kind of felt sorry for him. It's like, well, if well, I don't Well, there you go, are. You've paid the price, you know, that if you lay down with dogs, you get fleas. If you go to a barber who's operating out of a shed on a railway track, you're going to end up with a... Well, Precisely. But it was this shed, mm. like a shack, right? And every time a train came past, they had to stop cutting, because he'd have my eye out. And stuff. And there was one time, right, when, um, I'm there, and you know, like, uh, they like to wash your head before you go, you know, giving it a style. Yeah. And he said, do you want it, do you want it washing? <laughs> and I said, yeah, go on then. He said, right, just give us a minute, I've got to take these cups out of the sink. Oh, no, they had cups in the so sink. There's all cups in there and stuff. Probably putting out fags in it. And, you know, and maybe a little bit of vim to clean the cups. For vim! And that would have been... Vim cannot be good for your hair follicles. That's what I'm thinking. So it's either Smokey or this barber that was operating out of a love shack. Someone's to blame. <laughs> This is BBC Six Music. That was a life less ordinary by Ash. Uh, before that, we had the greatest from Cat Power. Uh, this is Russell Brand and me with Carl Pilkington at Six Music. Right, they've left us here on our own. Steph's gone off to some party, left me and Carl here. Right, we can't print out the text messages or the emails because there's no paper. N not only is there no paper in the printer in uh, in the studio, I've been running through all the offices everywhere. Like, I found Phil Jupiter's desk, he's getting some nice freebies over there. I saw some, like, some DVDs and that, and for a minute I did think, shall I nick them? Right, and I just thought, N what are you doing, Russell? Don't start nicking things in the dead of night from Six Music when you're even just standing from the moan. Yeah, but when would he realise that they've gone? I don't know, because it, like, and also, why would, I mean, obviously now- Why has he left them? Do you know what I mean? If you wanted them, why did he leave them? He obviously don't treasure them that highly, because I, I couldn't wait, it was like Phil Jupiter's desk, he's got his own photograph around. I'm not sure having a pop at Phil Jupiter's, by the way, he's from Essex, nice bloke and everything, very funny, he's a good bloke. But he's got, that's how I knew it was his desk, there's some photos around there, and there's these DVDs. I thought, well, if I'm gonna, like, have to find this paper, let's probably go on the rob. It's <laughs> probably, it's fit, like, fit, might as well fill my boots. Yeah. I was t um, I, here's the worst bit of, one of the worst bits of crime I've ever done. I was, just listen to this for an opening sentence to an anecdote, right? I was stealing porn from an all-night garage. Look at that. Immediately you've lost sympathy with the protagonist, isn't it? I was stealing porn from an all-night garage. Is this a garage that the door's open or did you have to say to him, can you get me them off the shelf? No, I was in the, this was before, this was in a quite nice area, it was a, like, a bell-sized park, it was like, and it was probably, it was probably about three in the morning, but you, you go in, because that, because I couldn't steal porn from him by stealth, by going, you know, give, you know, because no, I... No, but I just thought it was like, can you just get us... I yeah. was in there with him, right, I was in there, he was behind his booth, I went in there, right, I was, I was to take, I was, this was in the days where I used to take drugs, I was in Fetamines, and like, you know, I thought, oh, I'll get some porn, you know, like, life was empty and barren. So I thought, that porn, that would treat me. I mean, now brightly lit garages are, everything was so sort of lucid and lurid. Headache, it? Headache, it really did, yeah, yeah and amphetamines as well. So I've like reached up to nick the porn, because it's on the top shelf, of course, tucked it in my jacket and turned around, and there was a copper standing there in the garage. Like, sort of, there, you know, his car was on the forecourt, he was filling up, it was a van, in fact, filling it up with petrol. And, um, I went, oh, good evening, officer, like that. He'd obviously seen me put the porn into my jacket. Yeah. 
And he went, uh, do you want to put that back? And I went, yeah, no, of course. You know, I'll just, you know, sort of like without breaking eye contact, reach around, put it like, back on the shelf. And, he, and I was like making eye contact with him throughout. And he goes, do you want to stop looking at me? And I went, oh, what? And he goes, if you ain't stop looking at me by the time I've counted to three, you're going to be in a lot of trouble. And he went, and I went, oh. And he went, one. And I just carried on looking at him. He went, two. And I went, I love you. Because I'd seen films like The Doors around that time, fancied myself. Oh, right, okay, yeah, I'll be like this now. My own personality just caved in, thought I'd be Jim Morrison. Right. I went, I love you. And he went, right, you're nicked. Nick me, like, properly aggressively, put the, you know, hands behind my back, cuffed me, dragged me off to that meat wagon, bundled me in the back. I was on them, put me in a cell, left me there, I was on amphetamine, so I couldn't get any sleep or anything. Oh. Really depressing, awful evening. So, you know, I suppose crime, in a way, doesn't pay, because, like, it was criminal for me to have had the amphetamine. It's criminal to attempt to nick the porn. So, I suppose, we should, you know, we'll just have to accept there is no paper, but why has Steph left us here? I feel like we're, like, sort of home at, like, a couple of twits, like, the, you know, dogs dying not cars, like we've been, like, abandoned in a car, or we're, like, home alone, couple of ninnies' cars. It's what are we going right to do? Though, it's all right, we're getting by. Right, we're right. talking of robbing and stuff, right? Go on. Yeah, seeing as you've opened up to a little bit of crime, yeah, it's like a confession clean. box, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's easy. Do like you know that. when you do that with a vicar in a little room and you, yeah, and you say, Catholic, listen, I've been up to this? I, know well, this. I haven't done it, I've heard that they do it. Yeah, yeah. Does the vicar ever say, well, look, I'll tell you something about me so you don't feel as bad? No, I don't think he does, because, like, what would he say? You know, I've got an interest in the young. He might, you know, what, what could he possibly say to make it better? Oh, fair enough. But, but, but no, I'm just trying That's not how it works anyway, Carl. Yeah, I just wondered, I've never been. He's been absolved. He's, like, absolving, isn't it? Just by, yeah, by showing a bit of contrition, that's what it's called, and it? it's showing that you feel bad about these things. So a few Al Marys, how's your fathers? Yeah. Or our fathers. You know, you're clean as a whistle, then you can go to the afterlife with a clean conscience. Like, but, you know, I, I don't want to sort of sit in a booth with a priest saying, I was stealing stealing from an all-night garage. Also, Father, forgive me, I've been rummaging around in Phil Jupiter's drawers. Yeah. So I don't have to tell you a story then, because we've, you know... Tell I, us I one. Like, you're not, you're not in the role of a priest, I don't think. I don't see how you could ever be cast in that position. Alright, well, uh... But I'd like to hear a story of, of you robbing. I've, I've robbed a few times. Go on. Um, nothing major. Mm. Mars bars and that. But, but the, f but the, the one that I was going to tell you about, right, yeah. my mum and dad, right, they've moved from Manchester, they've retired, yeah. right, in the, like, country bit of, of Wales and that. Nice. Right? And, um, what they do there, it's a bit like the producers here, they don't want to stay there if they can shoot off home or have a night out, right? Yeah, like, exactly. Steph's gone off. Off she goes, leaving well, us in the lurch. Well, shops in Wales, because there's not that many people, they mm. sort of go, look, you know, we'll pop some stuff in the phone box, right? Yeah. Leave your money on the phone, and we'll leave, like, bread and milk and papers and stuff in the phone box. You leave your money, and, uh, you know, we'll pick it up tomorrow. From being from Manchester and that, that was like, that. what? That's mental. Yeah. Right? We used to just go, there was loads of stuff there ready for the taking. Just took it? Yeah. Oh, Carl, you exploited the trust of the people of Wales. Hang on, you've just told that, and I didn't have a go at you. Yeah, <laughs> you will, probably because in the back of your mind you knew that you had these abhorrent crimes against the Welsh. My one, I didn't actually do it, did I? I didn't actually, if I, if I come swaggering in here wearing Jupiter's G-string, then you would have the right to point the finger. Oh, I'm sick of this. This is BBC Six Music, I'm Russell Brand, that was Beauty Dies Young by Low Gold. Before that we had Our Friends Electric by Tubeway Army, this is me, Russell Brand and Carl Pilkerton. Abandoned we are at Six Music Studios, Steph's nicked off to a party, left us here, there's no, 
there's no paper in the printer. We've been wandering around trying to find printer, cry, find paper, crying our eyes out. We are the pair of us. We're lost. We've got a text message here. The K-Man, you're a legend. Keep up the good work. I can only assume that's for you, Carl. Um, someone here from Northern Ireland telling us that they love us. We've got a lot of text messages, but I'm having to read them directly off the screen, so it's very confusing and disorientating. Um, what's this one? I hope you... Will you be in Germany? Watching the World Cup, I don't know. I might pop over, but you know, but these are days. Sally, though, isn't it? Yeah, maybe save myself. You know, the yeah, that sounds like quite a test of, of my endurance. Um, yeah, so let's listen to um, some Smiths uh, in a moment. I wanted to tell you this thing about Morrissey, right? I was uh, there's this girl I used to know. It's another relationship I nosed up. Um, her mum was like famous pop star but what i was more interested in was that her mum was friends with morrissey right yeah. and um like when she when this girl i used to go out with was little morrissey came around to visit her mum and um this little girl said that morrissey had that quality that um a lot of people sometimes have that when you're a child you get transfixed by someone and think oh god i really want that person to like me she was about six years old morrissey come around the house and he literally thought oh god isn't he amazing he was talking to her mum and that and um and she sort of went off and like sort of all transfixed by Morrissey, drew a picture of him, right, and then sort of six years old, came over and like, you know, showed Morrissey this portrait she'd done of him. Morrissey took it, looked at it, looked at her and said, I don't like children, I prefer cats. And handed back the picture as if like, as if it was a, there was a critical element to his judgment. Like, it was like as if it, if the picture had been better, because he looked at the picture first and then give it back. If the picture had been better, she would have, you know, he would have been all right with it. It was the fact that it wasn't a good picture. He didn't make any allowances. Like, oh, it's a child has done this. Morrissey was a, you know, a hard man when it comes to judging art. But is that he, a bad thing, though? Well, no. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's like, I suppose it's like you know, we come from a culture where children are sentimentalised, don't we? You know, so you know, listen, if a child did me a drawing, even if it had depicted me being like brutalized by a fiend yeah. i would still go that's lovely well done would you have, have a biscuit yeah of course i would yeah i would carl I, it's not in my nature to be abrupt with children i used to work in a pub right and children from over the road this state over the road was all full of like these loopy little children they used to come in throw ice cubes about and cause chaos in the pub and i just go oh do, 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 settle down now kids you know i, mean, I just the other like barman used to throw them out I just, oh, bless them. I can't, I, you know, I've liked children. I can't, you know, I sort of think they're happy, aren't they? Adults, everyone's miserable. You know, children, don't let them get on with it. As long as they're not, you know, sort of getting themselves into, like, potentially hazardous situations. Jabbing forks into plug sockets, straying into Neverland, asking for Michael Jackson to babysit. You know, as long as they're... They're going mad these days, though, aren't they? Children. It's, it's hard to, yeah, they, they just run riot, don't they? I don't know if they all run right. No, they do. Most of them do. Well, no, it's probably. Like, the, I bet you, when you were a child, I bet you called, thought, got up to all sorts of rosy cheek caperings. I was a naughty child. I think, you know, it's just in the nature of children. Yeah, but now it's just they just run riot, don't they? They just run riot. Well, like, you know, so Morrissey then was performing a great service, and I think he can, Morrissey can afford to be abrupt with children when he creates artwork of this nature. So, this kid yeah. did the drawing. For Morrissey. Did she then go off and do a better drawing because he he dissed it? No, I think she was really distraught and it put her off doing drawings for iconic pop.
pop stars of the 80s. It depends what, what sort of a kid you are then, doesn't it? Because I'd go off and... Do you know, like, remember Tony Art? With yeah. the gallery and that? Yes, I remember him well. You know, he needed to put a lot of those drawings in the bin, as far as I'm concerned. They think yeah. that the standard was too low for the gallery. Yeah, you know, it's sort of, you know, four and a half and it'd be a picture of a sun and a tree and that, and you go, mm. that's, that's not that good. Yeah, if you're four and a half, there are mitigating circumstances, they, they, they have to be taken into consideration, I think. Yeah, you got yeah. yeah, I don't think, I think when, when it comes to a child's drawing, the aesthetic quality is not the only consideration. It's not like only merit, innit? It's like, oh, it's done a drawing, you just sort of, you know, you're grateful that the child's done a drawing. I think, <coughs> I'm not attacking Morrissey, no one, you know, I bow to no one in my adoration of that man. But I'm just saying, like, you know, if a child does you a drawing, you've got to sort of, you've got to think, ah, the child's done a drawing, not well, like, well, the perspective's wrong. So at what, at what age are you saying that you can say to a kid, look, that is rubbish? Never! I don't, you know, even with your, like, you know, I don't think it's ever- Fourteen-year-old. Still be nice to it. Fifteen? Still, always. And then they're on the cusp of adulthood, there becomes a, a whole different journey of reasons why you should be nice to children. They're, they're very vulnerable at that age, they're just discovering their sexuality, their identities, they, they could get entrenched in a quagmire. I think we've got an obligation to be nice to everyone. <laughs> This is BBC Six Music, that's Joy Zipper with one. I'd like to dedicate that to John Knoll, my agent out in Cuba who's listening to this, probably on a computer somewhere. He's sending me text messages complaining about the content of the show while we're on air because I, like, cause I mentioned like, I did a little hit list of things I'd done in the past. Like earlier in the show, oh, I had a bath with a homeless person, there was all sorts of antics. Um, Right, this is like, he's like a controlling maniac, that man. Uh, there's no better example of that fact than this. Right, like, sort of, a couple of weeks ago, you know, I, um, sort of like, you know, I was late, like, I was at home, it was about sort of nine o'clock in the morning, sort of got up, there was a, a taxi outside to take me off to, the, to go to work somewhere. Like, I ran out in my pants just to go to the taxi. Oh, you know, oh, hold on, like, I'll be a little while, I've got to get ready, that's embarrassing enough. As I'm running back into the house in my pants, I know there's a couple of blokes, right, one of them sort of wearing a suit, both of them quite heavy, the other one sort of much more your conventional heavy, wearing like a sort of a, like a bomber jacket and a woolly hat. I run back in the house, suddenly there's a knock on the door, like, you know, sort of them aggressive type of knocks. I go to the door and, go, and um, like the one in the suit goes, uh, are you Russell Brand? I say yes. He goes, right, we're bailiffs, we've come here to reclaim your television set and some property to the value of £500 because of non-payment of council tax. Now, I hadn't paid my council tax, so I thought, oh, no, you know, I was a bit, I goes, but I've not, you know, there was a reason I've not paid the council tax because there's all complications and I've been trying to do it. Well, we don't care about that. I was, look, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to shut the door. Right, shut the door on them. Went back in the house, they shout through the letterbox, we've got a warrant, we've got a warrant, sir, here's the warrant. I goes, look, I can't read, I can't read. And he goes, look, you're going to have to open the door. And then my neighbours are coming, like, you know, sort of it's a shared hallway, so my neighbours are coming down the stairs, opening the doorway, then one of them gets a foot in the door, so I run inside the house again, shut the door again, so I'm locked in right within the house, ring up John Noel, my agent, for a little bit of advice, go, oh yeah, there's these bailiffs, like they say they want to come in, well you have to let them in, you have to let them in, I say, well, oh, I'm not sure about that, I don't want to, I've had, I've had bad experiences with bailiffs, let me talk to them, so I give the phone, I go, oh bailiffs, yeah, I'll have a talk to him, give, give the phone over, they could, like, he could then, they give me the phone back after a minute and say, yeah right, we're taking the TV, they come in like the Keystone cops, knocking over my coffee table, taking the TV out, unplugging all the, like, you know, the PlayStation, all digital things, and all consoles and that, and like knocking stuff over while I'm on the phone at the council going, look, you know, there's been complications with candlesacks. They pull my phone out of the wall, 
and then like sort of going to like the office later on that day, still trying to sort things out with the council, and like John Noel comes bulldozing his way in and goes, get off the phone, I need to show you something. And I'm like, well, well hold on, I've just got to talk to the council about this. They're telling me they've not heard of this debt collecting agency that have come and taken my telly. Like they said, they've never heard of them, there's no register of them, they've, they've never heard of them. And he goes, come in here, takes me into office, turns on a video, is me opening the front door in my pants. And then there's me sort of making all these explanations, saying all these dark things. It, like, the bailiffs had a, like the bailiff had a camera in his woolly hat. There was another camera across the street. There was another camera hidden in the van. The whole thing was an elaborate setup by, by John Knoll for no reason. It's not like a candid camera or for a TV programme. He just did it to exercise insane power. Over my life, no one should have to put up with that. You know, at least Jeremy Beadle, he's got that like little hand, isn't he? You could point that out to him to get to you know to get some status back in the situation. What do you do with someone like that, Carl? Well, you got me to sort of sign up with him, so <laughs> yeah, you're in the lurch at all. We're in a we're in a right predicament, aren't we? Let's just let music be our guide. <laughs> I was talking heads, nothing but flowers. This is BBC Six Music. I'm Russell Brand here with Carl Pilkington standing in for Namone. So um, this show is coming to an end now. It's like sort of quarter to one. We'll, we'll be off in a little Not while. Really, you can't just. So you're shooting off in a bit, we've got 15... Yeah, I know, and it's going to be a great 15 minutes, I'm not talking it down, I'm not saying, like, I've mentally switched off now, it's all oh, over you for have, me. you already popped your little hat on. I have put my hat on, yeah, because, like, I've, well, for a couple of reasons, I like wearing this hat, yeah. right, it, it's a statement, right, Although, like, so I do worry about, like, so it's, it's difficult, isn't it, to wear a hat, because, like, my worry always is, with a hat, is that it can overwhelm you as a person, like, I, I like wearing this hat, it's like the, it's like the bravery, I think, like, the bravery must, like, with those haircuts, I mean, their haircuts are so fashionable that I think they must constantly feel like, you know, how do they think about anything else, I think they must go through life being totally aware of the, oh, hello, here I am, I've arrived with my haircut, sitting down now with my haircut, what do you think of the situation in Kashmir? I've got a haircut, you know, I mean, it's, it's difficult, and I feel like with my hat, you know, if I go into, you know, a, a, a baker's or a haberdashery or something, I just sort of feel like, you know, I feel like I should go, oh, I've got this hat on, you know, I just want to clear it up with you, I'm aware of the hat. It's like a, in, this the elephant in the room thing again, in psychiatry, it's like the, the thing that's no one's, if no, if I'm in a baker's and no one's mentioned my hat, I'm thinking everyone's thinking about this hat now. You know, I feel like it's an unspoken thing. You're not someone who's really... Fashion's not important to you, is it, Carl? Don't uh, mean that sound derogatory. No, no, uh, it's never been that, that important to me. I mean, I see you with your hat on, mm. and I just think, oh, something else to put on. Right. If I was at home, and I'm in a rush, I'm running late, yeah. it's already a pain in the winter, isn't it? Because yeah. you've, got to, you've got to put your coat on, you've probably got a little scarf to pop on, yeah. some gloves... And your list of things to do before you leave the house is just getting longer. You've got pop on hats. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And you were saying yesterday, you, you're thinking about getting a cane. I've got a cane. Right. I just a don't... Cane. A cape, maybe. <laughs> I just, just... I don't think there are any more, sort of, like, appurtenances that I'll be able to carry off. You know, I just, like... So I think it is... It's a bit worrying, isn't it, fashion, if you take it too seriously. I've started wearing, like... Like, because uh, of wearing, you know, drainpipe jeans and that, like, men's jeans were no longer tight enough. I've started wearing girls' jeans, right? And they're, re they're really tight. But why? Why are you well, doing this? Well, if I'm 100% honest, it's because I've been influenced by, like, you know, I became 
friends with Carl Brat out of Libertines, and again, my personality was not strong enough to withstand that kind of influence. It's like, oh, look at him, he's got a hat, he's wearing tight jeans, perhaps if I was to put on a pair of tight jeans, you know what I mean? I mean, sort of like, you know, I've got a character of my own. Yeah, but why are you following everyone else? <laughs> not everyone else. I'm not, like, planning to shave my head and become all morose in an attempt to be more like you. No, but there, there is like, like, in that same science magazine I was talking about earlier, mm. right, there's a bit in it about how sheep, you know, that saying about following, following the sheep flock. and stuff, that apparently sheep sometimes jump off a cliff. Yeah. Right? Why do they do that? Over I don't there? know, but the one that the front does it so everyone else copies. And <laughs> I sort of think, why, why is the one in the front in charge? Do you know what I mean? If he doesn't know what he's doing, he's jumping off cliffs. Yeah. He shouldn't be leading anyone. He's risen to a position of power on next to no ability there. Well, that's what, well, that's kind of what you're doing. You're following Carl Barat. Yeah. It does look nice. You know, yeah, but You see, the only time I was into fashion, right, yeah. it was about, I don't know, about, well, when was it? About 80, 82, 83. Yeah. And, uh, tank tops were in. Well, yeah, who can forget the tank top? Yeah, it just era. had a nice little red tank top. Right. And I used to wear it with uh, a white granddad shirt mm. underneath. Right, it looked pretty smart. How old were you? Um, I don't know what would it have been then. About 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 nine. Oh, something like that. All right. Looked pretty smart, right? And I love this red tank top, right? But for some, I, I don't know how I managed it, but I got a little bit of oil on the front of it, mm. and I was like, oh, I can't believe it! I've got a bit of oil on me on my tank top and that. I thought, what can I do? It won't come out. And <laughs> I don't know what came over me, right? But I decided that cutting it out was a good idea. Right. And I sort of got hold of the bit with the oil on, so mm. I pulled it out a little bit, like yeah. cut it out, stood in front of the mirror, <laughs> thought that, that hasn't, that hasn't worked, has it? If anything, it's worse. It's made it worse. <laughs> from a white, sort of, from a, from a black oily bit, now, yeah. all you can see is me white granddad shirt underneath, I just thought, why? But ever since then I got sick of fashion. So right. I forget it. Just wear stuff that I forget oil on. Not bothered. Just carry on. Just carry on, and that's that's what you need to do. You just need to, you know, you're a smart looking bloke. You've got your hair. Yeah, that's good. That's a good fashion accessory. No matter what you wear, you look sort of cool because you've got that hair. Well, the hair would always the hair, be standing. Everybody with sort of long hair is pretty cool. Aren't you? you know what I mean? Mm. I can't, can't think of anyone with long hair who's. Well, I don't know, right, Carl? Because like, the sort of two people that I most am commonly could like sort of compared with, but go, oh, you look a bit like right. Yeah. Um. Justin Hawkins, right? Oh, you know, I don't like being compared to him physically. No. And, uh, like, not that he isn't, you know, a very talented man. And, uh, Lawrence Llewellyn Bowen, right? And I don't like being, you know, so, so they're like, I don't want to be compared to them physically. That's something I've got to fight. No, good point. I've got a hat. That's Soul Sister Brown Sugar by Sam and Dave. They didn't get on in real life, apparently, did they, Sam and Dave? Can't have a chat. They couldn't do this. They couldn't, could they? There'd be a terrible atmosphere. This is BBC Six Music's me, Russell Brown, and Carl Pilkinson. Um, before Sam and Dave, we had uh, Simon Garfunkel with The Boxer. You like that track, don't you? Loving that, yeah. Because it's a story. You like songs that are stories. All songs that are stories, but also on that track, right? Yeah. Do you know the, the drum bit at the end? It's like, da na na <laughs> Yeah. That big crash. They did that by holding some sort of drum in a lift shaft, and they went, "That sounds good, doesn't it?" And they were like, "Yeah, let's let's record that and use it on the track." No, no, no. They can't have been doing that anyway, and then decided to incorporate it into a track. Surely they were saying, "We need a, an no, echoey drum." They experimented drum. back then, didn't they, with music and that? And they might have been in a lift shaft, just banging it, going, "That sounds good, doesn't it?" Oh, well, how did they get there? Not so again. You're always having a go. <laughs> 
No, he's having a go. No, okay, fair enough. Because well, their relationship fell apart, didn't it? Probably because of this experimentation. You spend enough time in a lift shaft with someone, you know, that's what would happen. I wouldn't be surprised if we end up, because we're the only people in the BBC well, at the moment. Let's wrap it up. Steph's abandoned us. You know, like, I, I'm worried. That I, I think that we must be very careful in the elevator. There's no paper in the photocopiers <laughs> just being left here. It's like, in the lift sh shaft, I, I want you to stay very close to me, Carl. I don't want but no experimentation, you know. Oh, I'll make, let me make that clear. Alright. Right, well, we'll be back, back again tomorrow, yeah. Back tomorrow for our final shows, then the moan will be back after that. Um, so, yeah, join us then. Nighty night, ta-ta.